So the title of today's message is, What Child Is This? And if you turn to Isaiah chapter 9 in your Bibles, we'll be studying verse 6 and 7. I was listening to several sermons this week, and Pastor Greg Laurie gave a great sermon illustration that kind of, um, to start off our uh, message this week. He told about a woman who had a dream. And this woman had a dream that was very, very real to her. In the dream, her husband had brought her to a, a huge uh, resort, tropical island and everything, and he treated her just wonderfully, was romancing her and everything else. And right in the middle of the dream, he brings out a box and kneels down and reproposes to her. And he pulls out this huge diamond ring and gives it to her. And right then, she wakes up. And she was so excited. She wakes up her husband and says, honey, honey, listen to my dream. Listen to my dream. And she tells him about it and tells him especially, you know, this, gold, this diamond ring was huge. The diamond was just sparkly. And it was just, it was so incredibly, incredible to me that you love me that much. And you'd give it, give something like that to me. And her husband said, just you wait, honey. Wait for Christmas. And she, so she's like, oh, Wow. Whoa, what's going to happen at Christmas? So she starts counting down the days. You know, she's like one of these little kids that we saw in the video just now. She's waiting, you know, marking the days off her calendar. There's five days left. There's four days left. There's three days left. Gets to Christmas Eve. She just can't wait. She can't sleep. She wakes up her husband early and he said, Honey, let's open our gifts. Let's open our gifts. And her husband yawns and gets out of bed and they start opening the gifts. And her husband brings out this box. It's about yay big. And it looks like it could contain, you know, like a, a, one of those really fancy um, jewelry things. And so she takes it out and she doesn't do the typical female thing where she kind of just takes her fingernail and takes the tape off and, and you know, kind of really slowly unwraps it. No, she takes it like a little four-year-old and just rip, 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 rip. She's so excited to open it. She opens up the box expecting to see this huge diamond. And instead she sees a book that says, how to interpret what your dreams mean. But just like this woman, ancient Israel had dreams and expectations about the coming of their Messiah. They read verses like the one we're going to read in just a few moments and imagine the glory of an earthly kingdom. They dreamed that David's throne was going to be reestablished. Now David's throne was when Israel was at the peak of her glory, the world power. He passed that throne on to Solomon, and Solomon increased that. But it all started with David's throne, and this was the thing that ancient Israel would look forward to, is that God had promised them that he was going to restore this throne someday. And they would close their eyes at night when they were in prayer and see the glory of this kingdom returning, and Israel being that dominant power. And just like those people in Israel, many of us have an idea of what a Messiah should look like. If we are honest, we, would, we have to admit that for far too long, the church in America, we have some, somehow and for some reason, instead of looking to Jesus and instead of looking to God, we've looked to political leaders for this kind of thing. We've looked for them to keep us safe, to give us hope, to provide a country where we can live out our dreams in safety and security. And that's why there is so much fear right now, even among God's people, with the current political climate and the current world situation. 
And hope can somehow seem to be growing dim. And we're asking the question, are we going to be the ones that witness the downfall of one of the greatest country in history? Now these doubts and fears are very real. But this is why Christmas is so special. Christmas is that time of year where we have a chance to experience the wonder of this season as little children again. We get to come back to Bethlehem. We get to see a child wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. We marvel that God stepped down from his throne, set aside the fullness of his power and his glory, and became a helpless baby boy. What dreams lie in this child? What hope does he bring us? What assurances do we have that he is the one that we can place our trust in, that unlike earthly leaders, he will never fail us, leave us, or betray us? As the famous song asks, what child is this? Well, Isaiah starts to answer that in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, when he says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And Father God, we come to you this morning as a people that need that spiritual gift of hope placed within us again. And hope comes from having our focus on the right place. So, Father, I ask, Lord, that you just take our spiritual eyes and focus them on you again. That we would ignore the news, that we would ignore the rumors, that we would not be taken up by the news of this world and that would cause us to fear, would cause us to doubt, would cause us to, to look to you in unbelief. But we would set our eyes upon what the Bible says is the hope of mankind that is found in Jesus Christ. So Lord, be with us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to spend our time together this morning in answering the question, what child is this? Who is this child that we should place all of our hope and all of our trust in him? So let's dig into this scripture and find out. The first thing is, is that this child Jesus is everything you need, everything your heart longs for, and every fulfillment of every hope and dream that you have can be found in that Bethlehem manger. Look at the descriptions given to him in Isaiah. And when I was studying for this, I, I was trying to figure out exactly how I was going to unpack this for you, and God led me to really look at what, how it was written in Hebrew, and this whole thing just kind of exploded in my mind. And I want to share that with you this morning. First, let's look at the title of Wonderful Counselor. Do you know that wonderful is one of the names of God found in the Bible? In Judges, uh, Manoah, Samson's father, is 
meeting with the angel of the Lord, who is a pre-incarnate version of Jesus. He's meeting with this angel, and he asked the angel when he makes all these promises about who Samson was going to be, he asked the angel, he said, what is your name? And the angel, who is Jesus, replies to him, why do you ask after my name? It is wonderful. And it sounds kind of an odd thing for the angel to say, but what he's trying to unpack there is saying that I can't even begin to share my name with you because you could not possibly fathom what my name means. I am so awesome. I am so great. I am so inscrutable that my name is wonderful because if I tried to share this, that little bit of me with you, it would be like, boom. You could not even fathom that because I am so awesome. That is when he is called Wonderful Counselor. He is saying, I am this inscrutable, unfathomable, ununderstandable counselor to you. You cannot even begin to grasp how awesome I am. And the second part of this, the counselor, it means advocate, one who is our defender. Think of someone who is like a lawyer in court. You know, if you're being accused of, of something where you need a lawyer or you have to, to go to court for some reason, and you have this lawyer, he's one that you can share and trust with your most intimate details of your life. You know, if you... If there is an axe murderer out there and he tells his lawyer and says, yep, I did it, but I want you to get me off anyway, that lawyer cannot share that with anybody else. So he can be just like that kind of court. Jesus can be trusted with the most intimate details of your life. Now, how does Jesus fulfill this advocate role? How does he fulfill this, this wonderful counselor role? First, he is constantly pleading your case, and bringing you before Father God. In 1 John 2, verse 1, it says, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And that same Jesus who always went up onto the mountain to pray, one of the, the main things that you see about Jesus in his life was he was always separating himself to pray to his Father. He was always going off into lonely places, always walking up on the mountains, always taking a walk across the Sea of Galilee just to have that alone time with his Father. That same Jesus is now standing before God, constantly praying for you before the Father. That's why Hebrews 7.25 says that, Therefore he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. And that word intercession means to plead a case before a judge. That's what intercession means. When we talk about intercessory prayer, we're talking about pleading a case before a judge, pleading for the, uh, the, a beneficial judge, for a merciful judge to have mercy in a situation. And this wonderful advocate, this being that is so incredible that we can't even begin to grasp even his smallest attribute of being so personal that he has to be trusted with everything about us. Everything. You know, sometimes we think we can't bring before God the bad things and say, Lord, you know what? I messed up this week. I, I did something I wasn't supposed to. But you know what? He loves you. He loves the good and the bad, the beautiful and the ugly. 
He wants to be trusted with the things that we would never, ever want others to know. He can't, Jesus lives to make intercessions for this before the Father. And His Father, when He makes these intercessions, His Father is the universe's most renowned heart surgeon. He is an expert at renewing a person's heart. He said, behold, I make all things new. And he included your heart with that. When you, make your inner, when you make your case before him, he turns around and says, Father, that person needs help. And he is waiting to do just that. And this is because Jesus is also mighty God. When I looked this up in the Hebrew, the Hebrew is El Geboeth. It means God the champion. Now, a champion is a person who goes to war in your stead. In other words, this is like Lancelot was with King Arthur. So just like in, in the Bible, you have the Philistine army over here, you have the Israelites over here. Philistines send out their, their champion, Goliath, and then the Israelites are expected to send out their champion. And instead of hundreds of people dying on both sides, two champions will fight. Whoever wins, then they win. That's sometimes the way that ancient battles were fought. Well, in this case, God is our champion. God is the one who goes out and fights the battle for us. You know, we don't quite understand, I think, just how much God wants to do this in our lives. We want to fight our own battles. We want to say, God, you know, I got this. I don't need you. You know, I, I, I can handle this. But that, that's, that's not what God wants. You know, God's a mama bear. You don't mess with a mama bear's cubs, do you? And that's the kind of God that he wants to be with us, but we have to let him do that. And we have a tendency to keep God at a distance, but that's not what he wants. God wants you constantly in his lap. He wants to hear about how people are treating you. He wants to know about the pain others are inflicting upon you, especially, especially the enemy of your soul, especially the devil. And it's not because he, does, he doesn't know about it. He's God. He knows everything. But he wants you to ask for his help. He wants you to say, God, I need you in this situation. He wants us to be humble enough to say, God, I can't handle this myself. I need you to handle this for me. He wants us to be that utterly dependent upon him. Oh, what peace we often forfeit and what needless pain we bear because we do not carry everything to God in prayer, says the great hymn. I heard a sermon on the way to work a few days ago that deals with this very issue. And a pastor named Chuck Smith asked the question. He said, I wonder sometimes if there are angels and powers waiting for God to say go on your behalf. And they, they are, they're almost like straining at a leash, wanting to help you, wanting to help you, but you have not gone to the Father and say, God, can you help me? Think about it for a moment, about all of the possible ways that God can help you. Jesus himself said, there are 12 legions of angels straining at the leash right now, wanting to come and just deliver me. But God's will says no. 
But these are the kind of things that God has available for each one of us. But we, so, because we're so proud, because we're so self-sufficient, we don't go to him and say, God, I need you to help me in this situation. It's like we don't want to bother him or something, but this is something he wants us to be in relationship with him to say, God, I need you, and I need your help in everything. Even the, small, the things I think are the small things, I need your help in every way about that. But we don't ask because we don't pray or we don't have faith. And that's why Jesus is described here as your champion. And this is the, the picture that he wants us to have of him in our mind. That when Satan knocks at the door, we say, Jesus, could you answer that door for me? That's the kind of picture that he, that he wants us to have of them. He is also the everlasting Father. And I know that many of us, including myself, can sometimes have a warped view of what fatherhood looks like and what it means because of our culture today. And, the, and just the way the culture is. And that's why there is so much wonder in Bethlehem's cradle. This child is God made flesh and dwelling among us. Now, a real father does everything he can to provide for his family. Paul told Timothy that any man who does not provide for his relatives, especially his immediate family, that this man has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. He's worse than an unbeliever. That's a pretty powerful statement. But this child in Bethlehem's manger is God providing for his family. This is Jesus sacrificing his throne in heaven, putting aside some of the power that he holds, stepping down from heaven to become one of his created. And finally, giving his life to save us. Oh, what a Savior. He is everlasting, which means he is forever. You know, you can, you can kind of lose your father through divorce, or they can, be, they can die. Maybe your father is, is somebody who went overseas for the military, and you can lose them that way. But God ain't going anywhere. He is eternal, He is forever, and He will be there for you no matter what. And when you become His through trusting Jesus as Lord and Savior, He's stuck with you because the promise is written in His own blood. He will never leave you and He will never forsake you. And so if you ever ask yourself, what does a real father look like? Look no further than Bethlehem's manger. Because that is what a father looks like. He is called the Prince of Peace. It's amazing that this child, who was born in a rented animal trough, brings the very thing that man has searched for since Adam and Eve fell in the garden. And that is peace. If you think of all the sins that mankind creates... It is to somehow gain the sense of fulfillment or a sense of peace about themselves. No matter what the sin is, the end result of that is some sort of happiness, joy, or peace. And peace is not just the absence of conflict, 
but it is also the presence of justice. And it is not just this feeling of a sense or calm, but it is found in a person. In other words, it's found in Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is peace. That's why the Apostle Paul exhorts us, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. This inscrutable counselor, this mighty champion, this forever father and this ruler of peace is not just someone who stands with you. He doesn't just stand with you. Listen to this. This is someone who wants to occupy you. This is someone who wants to live on the inside of you. And not only live on the inside of you through faith in Jesus Christ, but to clothe you in him. Now you can't possibly get more intimate than that, can you? You can't possibly get more intimate than a person living inside of you. What child is this? Well, this child, Jesus, is also promising us a future. At the beginning of this message, I talked a little bit about how David's throne is the hope of every Jew. Even modern Jew, Jews long for the restoration of Israel as a world power. They long for the restoration of a, a Davidic figure to come and rule over them. The equivalent for us would be for the hope for somebody like George Washington would arise and set everything right in our country. And I use George Washington because he's a member of the Whig Party and they no longer exist, so the IRS can't come and nail me for saying Ronald Reagan or something. And, I'm, and the Jewish person longed for this because they longed for the return of Israel's glory years, a time where they lived in safety, where they lived in prosperity, and the favor of God was everywhere around them. And isn't that what we want for our country? Isn't that what we want? We just want to live in peace and safety. We want the ability to be prosperous. And we want to, especially if you're a Christian, to return to a time when Jesus' name was more than just a common curse word. That's why this child represents to us a kingdom that cannot be shaken. God wasn't so interested in reestablishing an earthly kingdom on a planet that's eventually going to be destroyed anyway but bringing his kingdom to bear on earth so, it is, so his will is done on earth as it is in heaven. That's why it says of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. And forever. I don't know if he can grasp forever, but it is a very long time. And why do I know this? How can I be so sure that this ver these verses are so true? Because of the last verse. And when I studied the Hebrew, when I, when I really started to unpack it and outline it and everything, I actually got a shiver down my back and my eyes welled with tears when I really understood how serious God takes these verses. And let me show you why here. He said, because the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Now the Lord Almighty 
is the, in Hebrew, it would be Yahweh Shaddai, right? Yahweh El Shaddai, which means the Lord God Almighty. This is God speaking of himself as the all-encompassing, almighty, most powerful being in the universe. But he also uses another word here. He said the zeal of the Lord. Now, zeal in the Hebrew is a Hebrew word, konah. It is also one of the names of God. So God uses three of his names here. He uses his proper name, Yahweh. He uses Shaddai, which means almighty, all-powerful, Lord of glory, and the Lord that exists in the ultimate power. And then he uses Kanah, the Lord is jealous. Now think about that for a moment. He is describing one of the most powerful of human emotions. We always think of jealousy in a negative, that jealousy is just a, a sign of somebody who isn't confident in themselves or isn't confident in their relationship. But jealousy is a godly emotion when it's applied to protecting a relationship which is most dear to you. I mean, how many people go into fits of rage when they see some, their spouse or girlfriend or boyfriend talking to another person? And that, that is a, that's taken to an unhealthy extreme when they fly into a rage. But that reaction to something threatening that which is most important to you is an actual godly reaction. To, to be protective of that relationship. So when he is saying, I am Yahweh Kana, I am jealous to make sure this happens. He is saying that I am going to bring all my power, all my wisdom, all of my strength to bear to make sure that this relationship I have with you is protected and all these attributes that we talked about before in this message come to bear in your life. That is what he is saying there. I'm going to bring all of my almightiness into this and make sure that you are kept safe and kept for me and me alone. Musicians, if you want to come up, God is very jealous for you. He is jealous to protect you. He is jealous to see you grow. He is jealous to make sure that you have everything you need. And He is jealous to keep you from physical and sp mostly spiritual harm. And most of all, all of that is to make sure that he is jealous to see you standing before him one day in person. Standing before him clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. What child is this? He is God Almighty. He is jealous for you. That he became this little child to make sure that he can spend eternity with you. Thank you for tuning in to the Whitehall Assembly of God podcast. This is Pastor John Oscar, the senior pastor of Whitehall Assembly of God. If these messages have blessed you, I just encourage you to subscribe to these podcasts and you'll be able to hear every single message that comes out of Whitehall Assembly. If you are interested, go on Facebook and like us on Facebook. We do have a Facebook page, Whitehall Assembly in beautiful Whitehall, Wisconsin. We also have a website that you can visit, whitehallassembly.org, or you can come visit us in person. We are located on the corner of Dewey Street and Sheila Street in Whitehall, Wisconsin. 
We hope to see you there someday. If these messages have blessed you, I'd just like to encourage you to contribute toward us being able to continue to bring them to you. You can see that on our website, top right corner of the page. If you have any questions, you can contact me at my email, pastorjohnoscar at gmail.com. If you don't mind, I would just like to take a moment to pray for you before we go today. Father God, I just ask, Lord, that every single person who listens to these messages will be brought into a deeper relationship with you through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let them experience the love and forgiveness that Jesus bought for us on Calvary's cross. I ask, Father, that you just use it to enrich their lives, that you use it to make them good ambassadors of the kingdom of God, and bring them into your presence someday. Let them be fruitful, let them multiply, and let them be used mightily for you in these last days. Father, I commit them to your care now. In Jesus' name, amen. God richly bless you.